Hello everyone and welcome to Historically Haunted. My name is Ariel and today I'm going to be covering one of the most, if not the most, haunted house in the United States of America, the Whaley House Museum. Many strange things have happened on the property and today people claim to have even stranger or otherworldly experiences in the home that is now a museum. First off, I wanted to thank you all for listening. It means so much to me that you guys are sticking around to listen to the show. And of course, I want to thank my lovely Patreons. And I got a new Patreon this week, Jackie. Thank you so much, Jackie, for supporting me, and it makes it a lot easier for me to keep the show going. It really helps me out with the monthly fees of the podcast hosting, plus it helps cover licensing fees for all the cool sound effects and music I use. If you don't know, I have a Patreon page, and I do a few small bonus episodes every month, and I also send out a thank you card with stickers as well to all my Patreons. Since it is October, I'm going to be doing a big bonus episode this month for my Patreons, and I will be talking about the history and hauntings of the Hinsdale House. found in New York State. And that is going to be quite an episode because it deals with many spooky elements, including a supposed possession case. If you would like to check out my Patreon page, the link to that is down below in the show notes. I also wanted to thank everyone and anyone who has ever took time to email me to either say hello or just send me a personal paranormal story. If you have ever sent me a message on Wix.com, I am sorry if I take a while to get back to you. Most messages that I ever receive from Wix is complete spam. Normally, it's fake lawyers trying to get me to buy into them so they can protect me. And also, I've gotten some really interesting uh car warranty claims on that thing. It's weird. But anyway, the real emails really get hidden with all the spam messages. One day I checked and I'm not kidding you guys, I had 20 just spam mail from them. It's kind of a bummer and I hate it because I'm trying to use it as a way to connect with you guys, anyone that goes through my website page and everything just gets hidden. But I try to check it every other week and I really do try to check it and get back to you. But I would rather you guys email me to my Gmail account so that way I can get back to you a lot faster. And if you also wanted to send me a personal paranormal story, please send that to historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com because I finally have... Some one of you lovely listeners out there sent me a great long list of paranormal experiences they have had and other people have had. So I finally have that. So I would love to do another listener's story soon. So if you guys have any personal paranormal experiences, please send them my way and then I can finally put together another listener's episode. The last thing I want to talk to you guys about is I started my own YouTube channel. Now it's different than Historically Haunted. It is called Ariel's Little Adventures and it's basically my more girly side of things. It's I love traveling. I love giving out travel tips. I love decorating um, for different times of the year. So I decided to start a channel and then um, I can take you guys on adventures with me. Now you guys do not have to follow it. I just wanted to let you know it's there in case you wanted to get a different perspective of me being more like Um, less tied to the mic and I'm planning on doing some interesting historical stuff like taking uh, my viewers on historical trips to like cool museums or in anywhere that's you know historically important so that's my plan but of course you know COVID is still going on so I don't have a lot of options right now, but I'm trying to work within my area that I can drive to. I'm thinking within two hours is probably my limit right now, but I'm going to try to go to some museums and things like that and try to work history because I love history. You guys know that. I'm going to try to work the love of history into the channel and see where it goes. 
And I'll throw some how to decorate tips in there as well because that's just what I like to do. So if you guys would like to check that out, I have a link to that down below in the show notes. And again, it is called Ariel's Little Adventures. Oh, and one more thing about YouTube before I forget. I ran into a million issues with the Historically Haunted channel. I tried really hard to post the uh, podcast episodes on YouTube, but what happened was, for some reason, my podcast host kicked um, YouTube out, like contract-wise, or something is going on there because it says that it cannot connect due to the website issue. So anyway, long story short is, I started uploading the videos on my own and then I ran into a ton of copyright pro- problems because I pay a m- like a yearly fee to use the music and the sound effects that I use on the podcast, but apparently it's only allowed to be put up as a podcast through the podcast host on YouTube. I can't independently upload them. So in the end, I just had to take them all down for just to to save time because there was no reason I could have petitioned them but it was just too much so I took them all down and I'm sorry if any of you guys were using YouTube to listen to me but I just can't do it right now so I'm gonna try again to figure out a new way maybe but for now it looks like I'm gonna leave that channel up and I'm just gonna leave it for more Q&A videos or I might even take you guys along with me on some ghost hunts I want to do that as soon as COVID is kind of taken care of and yeah that's all I've got for the updating so I hope you guys are ready for a fun episode because you know it's spooky season. And let's kick this episode off with our monsters moment. Stories of encounters from strange beasts lurking deep in the forests, on snowy mountaintops, and in dark caves have been told throughout the generations, turning to legend. But what if I told you that many of these creatures are still spotted today? I call these Monstrous Moments, and I invite you to listen to this week's Monstrous Encounter. Today's Monsters Moment is known as the Weeping Woman of Mexico, or better known as La Lironia, and I really hope I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. This legend is not exactly a cryptid, but I would still put it in the monster category because this story is terrifying. The legend of La Lironia sits deep within Mexican culture, and it has changed over the centuries, and every version is different. If you have never heard this legend, I'm going to tell you one of the many versions of this scary tale. Once there was a beautiful indigenous woman who lived in a village in Mexico. She fell in love with a man who was from a higher social class. Despite the woman being from a lower class, he confessed his love to her, and they were married. For a time, they lived happily, raising two children together. Things were going great for this family until the woman's husband abandoned her for another woman of his own higher status. He leaves her and their two young children to live on the streets and fend for themselves. This betrayal broke the woman's heart, and she was driven mad with grief, which quickly turned into blind rage. One night, she walked her own two children out into the river and drowns them before she takes her own life. Because of the horrible things she has done, God curses her to forever be a spirit, trapped to wander the earth searching for her lost children's souls. 
because the only way she can get into heaven is to find her dead children and bring them with her to heaven's gate so that she can finally enter. Now it is said that she stalks the rivers and lakes at night. The spirit of Lalirona, a woman with waist-length hair, a white gown, and dripping wet, screams out in desperation as she cries out into the night, still searching for her lost children. But be warned, because she is so desperate, she has been known to kidnap and kill other children who are out late at night to try to pass them off as her own. Now that is a scary story. That's good enough to keep me in my bed at night, I'll give you that much. So now you heard the legend, but where did this even come from? So it turns out that the first mention of this legend dates all the way back to the 16th century. And it turns out that the original legend of the La Llorona is a mashup of cultures and other legends that all came together for one big legend. And that is what I'm going to try my best to explain to you how different legends came together to create the Weeping Woman of Mexico. It turns out that the Aztecs had a few different legends that sound a lot like the La Llorona story that we know today. The first element of this legend was that the Aztecs worshipped a goddess that name I cannot pronounce, I am sorry, but she is known as the first woman of the Aztecs. She was a goddess of motherhood and fertility. It was said that people could see her wandering through villages at night dressed in a white gown, carrying her cradle, only to disappear in the closest body of water, normally a river or a lake. The Aztecs also placed high value in women who passed away in childbirth. They felt that if a woman passed away during childbirth, they were the only women who were able to move on to the afterlife. During this time, only the Aztecs' male warriors could move on to the afterlife. Only problem was, the women's afterlife was not so great. It was believed that after a woman passed away during childbirth, they would become a night ghost. These night ghosts would linger at the crossroads waiting to try to tempt and kill men, and they were also known to curse and kidnap children. Once the 16th century came, it made La Llorona what she is today. When the Spanish conquistadors arrived, they brought with them European influence. They had themselves a Greek legend that spoke of a Greek enchantress who killed her two young children after being abandoned by her husband. The other thing the Spanish brought with them to Mexico was Christianity and the idea of heaven and hell and sinners being cursed by God. You can see how the tale is building from many different influences. There might even be a real-life influence to this legend as well. A woman named La Lamin Che was the daughter of a noble Aztec family, and she, along with 20 other women, were given as slaves to the leader of the Spanish conquistadors, Cortes. La Lamin Che ended up becoming one of the most important assets to the conquering of Mexico. She became Cortes's personal translator and diplomat, and many historians think that Cortes would not have been successful in his takeover of the Aztecs without her. She also became his mistress and she also was the mother of his child. The child was then taken from her and shipped back to Spain to receive a European education away from his mother. And as you can imagine, after the Aztecs suffered immensely from the conquistadors, they thought of her as a traitor. And it was from this moment that the legend of La Llorona began. Today it is said that the spirit of La Llorona is very real, and she still stalks the night looking for her victims. As all legends do, they change over time. Today, La Llorona is seen haunting more urban landscapes, like under overpasses or on abandoned highways at the crossroads. A movie about her came out last year in 2019, and I believe they're making a follow-up movie to that as well. La Llorona is seen as a cautionary tale to women to be careful of who you fall in love with. It can also be seen as a tragic tale of how society 
society views single mothers and also mental health. And as an added bonus to some parents, telling this story might scare your kids so much that they will come home when the streetlights come on. Whatever you think of the legend of La Llorona, I find her story terrifying and I would not want to run into her on a dark foggy night. Did you know that rating and reviewing your favorite podcast shows on iTunes is one of the best ways to help others find the show? Also, sharing the podcast with your friends and family will help spread the word that Historically Haunted is out there and waiting to be listened to. Please go to my website, historicallyhaunted.net, for more ways to support the show, like links to my Patreon page and more. The Whaley House Museum is located at 2476 San Diego Avenue, San Diego, California. It is a two-story Greek revival building with a home on the second floor and a store on the first floor. It was constructed by Thomas Whaley from September 1856 to May of 1857. Thomas Whaley was a businessman that tried many times to be successful. Although he never gave up, great success never occurred. It seemed like he was not an easy person to get along with either because he had so many different partners over the years. He also tried running for public office a few times, never winning an election. The Whaley family first came to America in 1722. Thomas Whaley's great-grandfather was a participant in the Boston Tea Party. He also provided muskets for soldiers during the Revolutionary War. Also during the war, General George Washington himself used his home to stay in for a time. Thomas's father was also a gunsmith, and he served as a member of the New York militia during the War of 1812. Thomas Whaley was born in New York City on October 8, 1823. He was educated in Connecticut and Washington during the 1830s to 1840s. Thomas also spent time in Europe studying and traveling with a tutor. He returned from Europe in 1846 and helped his widowed mother manage her real estate business holdings. On New Year's Day in 1849, he set sail from New York to California to join the gold rush. He landed in San Francisco 204 days after he set sail around the Cape Horn. And every time I say Cape Horn, it reminds me of the book by the Great Horn Spoon. Did anyone else have to read that in like fifth grade or fourth grade-ish? I did, and I actually really like that book. Anyway, Whaley worked at a store on Montgomery Street that sold hardware and woodwork from his own family's business in New York. It also sold mining equipment to the miners who were coming and going all the time in San Francisco during this time. He sold some stock that he had in the family hardware business and built his own two-story store and two-story house on Montgomery Street. Unfortunately, on January 22, 1851, there was an arson fire that burned down his house and store. After this devastating fire, on the advice of his friend Louis Franklin, Whaley moved to San Diego in October 1851. Franklin set up a two-story building as a store and home for himself and Whaley. Whaley. Whaley studied Spanish to be able to communicate better with the local population. In March of 1852, Franklin sold his share in the store to Whaley. After this, Whaley had different partners throughout the years, including one of his brothers. He eventually saved up enough money to return to New York to marry his childhood sweetheart named Anna Eloise Lanny on August 14, 1853. They returned to San Diego in December and Thomas continued his general store business. He purchased property in Old San Diego in September 1855, where he began construction on his house. 
So far, this sounds like your average pioneer building family story, right? Well, here's where things begin to get weird. See, the property he bought to build his home on was used for public executions for a long time. Various criminals were hung from trees on the property. The most famous was the death of Yankee Jim Robinson, who was hung on either August 17th or September 18th, 1852. Yankee Jim was well known in the old town for stealing, and finally the locals lost patience with him and they went caught him, tied him up, and hung him in the empty lot. Thomas Whaley was at that public hanging and still decided to purchase the property after witnessing Yankee Jim hung by the neck. I don't know what makes you witness a public execution and then decide immediately to buy the property after that and build your family home on it, but that is exactly what Thomas Whaley did. The Greek Revival-style house cost $10,000 to build, and it was a combination of a residence and store building. It was one of the first brick buildings in California, and the bricks were made in Whaley's own backyard. The upper floor was the family's living space, and the downstairs was the general store. There were five pairs of doors on the ground level, and the home quickly became a new gathering place for San Diego. Many social events were held at the residence, such as birthday parties and dances for their children. Thomas and Anne had three children together, Francis, Thomas Jr., and Anna. Sadly, Thomas Jr. died in the home of scarlet fever when he was only 18 months old, passing away on January 29, 1858. Whaley continued to seek out other business partners and opportunities throughout the San Diego area. The original store had a poor location, so he decided to rent a building in the center of town and relocate the store there. However, just like what happened in San Francisco, this store was also destroyed by an arson fire set in August 1858. And I find these arson fires really bizarre. Like, who goes through two separate arson fires in two separate towns? I just think that's a really weird coincidence. This event and the sadness of losing a child factored into Thomas Whaley's decision to move the family back to San Francisco. While in San Francisco, Thomas worked as a storekeeper for the United States Army Commissary, while his San Diego business was being looked after by a Wells Fargo agent and then by a lawyer. His house and business were also being rented out during this time. Thomas and Anne had three more children together, George, Violet, and Corinne Lillian, who they called Lily. Whaley continued to explore business ventures in San Francisco, but nothing landed. His position with the United States Army was discontinued in September 1867, and he took a new position as an issuing clerk with the Army yet again, but this time in the Alaskan Territory. In Alaska, he was in charge of stores in Sitka, while his family remained behind in San Francisco with friends. Meanwhile, a man named Alonzo Horton purchased 960 acres in San Diego and began developing New San Diego. This part of town became the center of activity. Also at this time, Thomas's mother passed away, leaving him with an inheritance, so he came back from Alaska to receive the money. Thomas Whaley returned to San Diego in the summer of 1868 with plans to use some of his new inheritance to open a store once again. New town was too expensive to rent because of the new developments by Horton, so Thomas decided to reopen the old store in Old Town. His home was in disrepair and required a lot of work. He fixed up the house and the store and reopened it in October of 1868. He was also selected as one of the directors of the San Diego and Gila Southern Pacific and Atlantic Railroad Company. The rest of his family were still in San Francisco during this time, and they experienced the Hayward Fault earthquake on October 21st, 1868, and the earthquake clocked in at a 6.8, so it was pretty significant. Anna and her children returned to San Diego on December 12th, 1868. Thomas Whaley continued to look for ways to make money. He rented out the front 
front upstairs bedroom to a theater group called the Tanner Trope from October 1868 to January 1869. There was a small stage and enough benches to seat about 150 people. Unfortunately, Mr. Tanner passed away 17 days after the opening. According to the Whaley House website, Tanner dropped dead backstage after a performance. The San Diego County Courthouse also used the granary for a courthouse proceedings. The county also rented three upstairs bedrooms to store records. The courthouse eventually moved to Newtown, which was now considered downtown since it was the center of activity in San Diego. At this time, Thomas made some changes to the brick building. He attached the granary to the house and made changes to the doors on the ground floor. Thomas continued running his store and ventured into real estate. On January 5, 1882, Violet Whaley married George T. Bordalacki, while her sister Anna married John Thomas Whaley, a first cousin. Violet's husband ended up deserting her only two weeks after the marriage. It turned out that Bordalacki was a con man who went by a variety of aliases. He married Violet for the large dowry he thought he would receive, but after learning that the Whaley family was not as well off as he thought, he ran out on her while they were still on their honeymoon. After Violet was abandoned by her new husband, she was shunned by the 19th century Victorian society due to the fact that she was one, now without her husband, and two, unchaperoned, which was highly improper at the time. Violet became very depressed due to her husband's betrayal and public embarrassment. She attempted suicide on July 5, 1885 by trying to drown herself in the family cistern. Someone in the family rescued her. After this ordeal, she was under the care of a doctor, but tragically, on August 19, 1885, Violet walked out to the privy in the backyard and shot herself in the chest with her father's 32 caliber Smith & Wesson pistol. Her father discovered her still alive and carried her into the house where she laid on the couch in the parlor and soon died of her injuries. Violet left behind a suicide note saying, Mad from life's histories, swift to death's mysteries, glad to be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. This note she left behind is actually a few lines from a poem called Bridge of Sighs by Thomas Hood. After this tragedy, Thomas Whaley built a one-story wooden frame home for his family at 933rd Street, San Diego. He kept a real estate office downtown and again worked with various partners. He retired from businesses because of the poor health he was enduring in 1888, and he died at at the State Street home on December 14, 1890. The Whaley House on San Diego Avenue was kept vacant and left to deteriorate until 1909, when the oldest child, Francis, returned and undertook the restoration of the old brick building. He turned the family home into a tourist attraction by posting signs promoting the building's importance to the history of San Diego. He also entertained guests by playing his guitar. His timing was good because the San Diego Electric Railway was constructed down San Diego Avenue. By 19 1912, Thomas's widow Anna, Lily, Francis, and George all lived in the residence together. Anna passed away in the house on February 24, 1913, followed by Francis on November 19, 1914. George passed away on December 25, 1928, and Lily continued to live in the house until she was placed in a nursing home after a fall and another illness due to her age. In order to pay for her care, there was a court order placed that allowed for the sale of the old Whaley house. Lily died on September 14, 1953. After this court order, a realtor listed the property for sale. 
However, activists protested to save the Whaley House. On January 31, 1956, the County of San Diego claimed ownership of the rundown Whaley House. The county also agreed to be in charge of its restoration. Management of the renovations was turned over to the Historic Shrine Foundation, and they continued to oversee the house until 2000. Since September 2000, Save Our Heritage Organization has operated the museum. Today, the Whaley House complex includes the Whaley House Museum, the Verna House, which holds the Whaley House Museum shop, two false front store buildings that were moved here, and the historic Derby Pendleton House. Over 100,000 people visit the Whaley House Museum complex each year. Restoration of the interior of the house is an ongoing process. The cistern had been covered up at some point and the exact location was unknown. The cistern was used by the Whaley family to collect rainwater that was drained from the roof of the building. It was also called a deep well in the original newspaper articles about Violet's attempted suicide, so it is possible that the structure was both a cistern and a well. If you don't know, wells are to collect groundwater that is already under the ground and a cistern collects rainwater. Anyway, in the late summer and early fall of 2007, a team of archaeologists from the San Diego State University uncovered the historical cistern. They received over 30,000 artifacts, including numerous complete bottles, pieces of pottery, animal bones, and tools. A map of the Whaley House grounds from 1872 and newspaper articles from the attempted suicide gave clues to the location of the cistern. And when you remember that this was used as drinking water and they found all that stuff inside, it makes you kind of go, ew. But still, it was still a very interesting archaeological find. This house is a historical gem to San Diego, but it's not just the fact that the home is on the National Historic Registry that has thousands of tourists flocking to the home each year. The Whaley House is also famous for its many ghosts that are said to reside inside its walls. When I started research on the Whaley House, I didn't know what to expect. I have heard in the past how haunted this place supposedly is, but I had no real idea the creepy stories that I would find about this house. Let's just say there was a reason that the Whaley House was on the Travel Channel's top pick for the most haunted house in the United States. The Whaley family experienced a lot of death and tragedy within the home, but it's not just the spirits of the Whaley family that are said to linger here. The first mention of the Whaley House being haunted came from Thomas Whaley himself. Shortly after the building and moving into his home, he, along with his wife Anne, reportedly started to hear loud footsteps of what Thomas described as sounding like boots of an old or grown man. Remember from the history section that Thomas Whaley knew in advance that this property he purchased was a popular spot for executions? Well, like I mentioned before, Thomas was present at the hanging of the man they called Yankee Jim. So, Thomas believed it must be the footsteps of Yankee Jim he heard stomping all over the home. Shortly after the Whaley family moved into their new home, the family suffered many tragedies. Some people point out that all this bad luck might have something to do with the home that they built on the old execution grounds. 
And allegedly, even Anne Whaley herself expressed how she thought the property was cursed due to all the bad luck the family endured after moving into the home. The paranormal activity is so frequent that mediums who have visited the house claim that there is a paranormal vortex in the room that was once used as a courthouse. After the home was turned into a museum, visitors reported all kinds of strange experiences. There is a piano playing ghost that loves to play his piano around the home. The strange thing is that no one can seem to chase down the phantom player because whenever you go looking for the music and you walk into the room you think the piano is playing out of, the sound then suddenly moves away from you and it sounds like it's coming from yet another empty room. The Whaley House was used for lavish parties and Thomas Whaley created the first commercial theater in San Diego by building a small theater in the upstairs area of the home. Sadly, this theater didn't last long, but today this theater is said to be haunted by the person who operated the theater, Thomas Tanner. Since he ended up passing away backstage within the home only 17 days after the opening night, it appears that his ghost likes to come back to check on his old theater. Tour guides and guests have reportedly heard a man's laughter coming from the theater, and many people think it is Tanner enjoying one of his old comedy plays. There are also many ghosts that are unknown to the museum staff. They are not members of the Whaley family, but when these ghosts are seen, they are seen as a small group of people dressed up in party-going outfits from the 1800s. These ghosts have affectionately been called the Patreons, and many wonder if they could be a residual energy from when people used to come to the home to see a play or dance in the ballroom. Room. Maybe these ghosts had so much fun in the home that they wanted to keep the party going into the afterlife. Now that sounds like my kind of ghost. And then we have the ghost of Violet. She has been seen and heard all over the home. Her tragic death seems to have left an overwhelming feeling of sadness behind. Many people have felt this overwhelming despair, and some have even had to leave the property entirely for the feeling to go away. Violet's ghost has been seen on many occasions. Those who have seen her describe her as a pale woman in white. She has also been seen in the home and in the backyard where she took her own life. The sound of crying in empty bedrooms is attributed to her ghost as well. Perhaps one of the most chilling run-ins with Violet's ghost came from a police officer who was responding to a 911 call 30 years ago. Late one night, a call came in from a concerned citizen who reported a woman who was crying out in the back of the Whaley House Museum. The officer responded to the call and found a woman at the back of the house crying hysterically. The officer noticed that the woman was in a period clothing and he asked her if she was okay. Then the woman turned around and smiled at him. When the officer moved his flashlight beam up to get a better look at her, She vanished into thin air. This encounter haunted the officer for years, and he did not tell anyone about it for a long time, until he retired and wrote a confidential letter to the museum itself, explaining the experience that he had that night 30 years ago. Violet is not the only ghost who has been seen all over the home. She is also not the only one who has a run-in with a police officer. 
Anna Whaley is often seen in a green dress. She likes to greet guests and make sure they are having a good time when they are in her home. Many visitors have mistaken her for a tour guide that is dressed for the part. It is only after they thank the tour guides at the exit and mention the woman in a green dress that the museum staff then tells them that they don't have a woman who is dressed up in period clothing. Many people believe that this is Anna Whaley who is still checking in on her home and entertaining her guests. Anna is mostly seen in the parlor where she seems to like to relax after a long day. One day after hours, an employee named Victor was locking up for the night. Victor knew he was the only one left in the building and was in the middle of setting the security code for the alarm system when he heard a woman loudly say, why are you here? This spooked him so much that he ran out into the street and this made the alarm go off and a San Diego police officer arrived to check on things. Victor told him what happened and the officer went inside to look around. Then Victor, who was lingering at the door, heard the officer say in his radio, there is a woman in a green dress sitting in the parlor. The officer called for backup and when backup arrived to search the whole building, no woman in a green dress was found. It appears that Thomas Whaley has also come back to his old home and he has been seen walking around the house as if he is also checking up on things like his wife. He also likes to blow cigar smoke in guest faces. The strong smell of cigar smoke comes and goes inside the home as well and they say that that is just Thomas Whaley smoking his cigar. Thomas Whaley Jr., who died at only 18 months old, is also heard distantly crying in his old room. Obviously, the thought of a baby dying is sad enough, but when you hear this ghostly cry, it can send chills down people's spine. It was no secret to Thomas Whaley that this place was used for public executions, especially since he witnessed Yankee Jim's own hanging. But the big question is, why did he buy this property and build his house on it when he knew that it was a public execution site? I guess that's a question we will never know the answer to, but guests to the museum today have come out of the home with chilling accounts of people reportedly just walking into a room in the home and see bodies hanging from the ceiling. It is believed that these are the criminals that were hung on the property trees prior to Thomas Whaley buying it. The sound of gurgling is also heard throughout the home, and it sounds as if someone is being strangled to death by a rope. And if I ever saw that, I would nope out of that building so fast. I That would probably ruin me. I probably wouldn't be able to go back to paranormal stuff after that one. There is a little girl that likes to play in the dining room. There is no historical evidence to prove that there was ever a little girl who died on the property, but there is an urban legend that was made about her to kind of explain her existence. The legend says that a little girl named either Annabelle or Carrie Washburn was playing in the backyard with the Whaley children. Then Mrs. Whaley came out back to announce that she had cookies for the children and Annabelle or Carrie ran so fast to get to those cookies that she did not see a low hanging clothesline and she ran into it so hard that this impact broke her neck, killing her. It makes for a spooky story, but there is no historical evidence to back up this claim. However, it does not explain why many people still claim to see a little girl with long hair in a period dress playing in the dining room. No one seems to know who or where this little girl came from. But the answer might actually lie upstairs in the courtroom, because in the courtroom on the second floor, there is a supposed paranormal vortex. Many mediums think that spirits use this vortex to come and go, so that might explain why there are so many ghosts that are said to be seen in the home, and they do not match the Whaley family. An elderly woman is often seen sitting in the jury box within the courtroom before suddenly vanishing. The home was also used as a boarding house for a time, so that could account for so many ghosts that don't match the Whaley family's description. 
description. Or if there really is a vortex in this room, maybe spirits just use the vortex to come and go to visit loved ones on the other side, and the visitors to the museum see them either returning from their trip or leaving to start their journey. It's not just ghosts of humans that have decided to stick around this house because there is also a dog and a cat that have been heard and seen in the building. Some have said to have seen a small scruffy terrier running down the hallway before vanishing. The Whaley house did in fact own a small scruffy terrier and the feeling of a cat rubbing on people's legs have also been reported along with the dog barking and a cat meowing. Other things that visitors and workers alike have said to have experienced often were the feelings of being touched, scratched, and even sometimes pushed. The sound of crying in empty rooms, moving furniture, and the sound of footsteps and stomping boots. Orbs have also appeared to the naked eye as well as in many photographs. The museum actually encourages its guests to take pictures because you never know what you might capture. The Whaley House Museum website has a spot for guests to submit photos that look like they might have captured photographic evidence of the paranormal and they put those photos on their website so you can go check those out if you'd like to a link is down below so if you go to the whaley house museum make sure to keep your camera ready and all your senses open it sounds like in this museum you never know what you might find so much for coming with me on this fun episode of the Whaley House Museum. I definitely move the Whaley House up on my must-dos for paranormal places to visit. If you have ever experienced anything there, uh, please let me know by emailing me at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. Make sure to check out my website at historicallyhaunted.net and don't forget to add me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Links to all of those pages are down below in the show notes, including my Patreon page. Our next episode will be the big Halloween episode, and I am going to be talking about the Salem witch trials and some haunted locations found in Salem, Massachusetts. I hope that you all are having a great October. Stay healthy, stay safe, and I will see you guys soon. Bye, everybody. Happy Halloween! <laughs>